I'm coming. I'm coming. Oh, had to turn my mic on. I've forgotten how to do that. Okay. All right. This is so great to be here with all of you. Um, one of my all-time favorite things to do is um, speak for women's conferences. I just love to talk to women. I've always enjoyed that so much. And so I'm really, really honored that I get to do this today. It's, it's a privilege um, from the Lord that I get to share with you. And I am just so thrilled with what's going on in the church. Last night, hearing, again, Heather and Vicki both together up on the stage. Wasn't that awesome? They did a great job. And I was just sitting, I was sitting back in the uh, sound booth. I had strict orders from my husband. Actually, we talked, we we talked together <laughs> and we came, I had to take some chemo yesterday. And so um, I had to uh, stay up in the sound booth to kind of rest and that kind of thing. And I was just sitting in there thinking, the church is just in such good hands. I just love what God's doing here at Vineyard Church of Delaware County. And just that thought that Heather brought up about the Lord saying, this is my church. You know, I just thought it really is, Lord. You know, it is your church. And it's, it's just so exciting. I was just so proud of those ladies last night. Okay, what I want to do, we've been talking about David. And I want to ask you some soul questions first, just some soul questions that you can look at for your own soul, how, you, how your own soul is doing. So here we go. And just, just receive this. Even if you want to, um, you know, just close your eyes and just think about these questions for your own life. Just try to focus a minute. Number one, do you find yourself wandering through life not sure what God wants from you? Number two, do you find yourself exhausted from busyness and not sure why you can't slow down? Number three, do you find yourself struggling with things like deep fears, guilt, Anxieties, depression, resentments, unforgiveness, or just plain old temptation on a regular basis? Do you find yourself wanting to please others and never fully succeeding at that? And you struggle with that. Do you struggle with a deep sense of loneliness that no one can seem to feel? Do you search for a sense of purpose and meaning even though you think, I've been a Christian. I've, I've been a Christian for years. I definitely know the Lord, but I still struggle with purpose and meaning. Do you find yourself competing with others just for position, whatever it is, even sometimes silly things? Do you find a deep longing in your soul for something and you're not even sure what it is? 
Now, let me ask you a question. How many here can, in the room, can relate to at least one of those questions? All right, you know, I see almost every hand going up, and let me tell you something. If you can relate, see, I can relate to all of them, <laughs> but if you can relate to any of these questions, let me just say you are normal. <laughs> that is the normal condition, and most people that don't struggle with anything are kind of in denial. I hate to say that, but that's the truth. Uh, not just kind of in denial, but a lot in denial. We all have our issues. We all have things that we struggle with. We all have pain that we walk around with. And here's the deal. I remember when I was taking a spiritual formation course, love this quote. He says, it, and no one quite knows who, who said this, but I love it. If you don't, I don't know, is that on there? If you don't transform, yeah, there it is. If you don't allow God to transform your pain, you'll be destined to transmit it to others. And I would add to that, if you don't allow God to transform your issues and pain, you'll be destined to transmit it to others. That's a scary thought, isn't it? But that's the reality we, we model things for people all around us. Our children, our friends, the people we work with, family members. And if we don't allow Jesus in to touch those areas, we end up transmitting that. I mean, have you ever been around somebody in a lot of pain? You can feel it. Whether it's emotional pain or physical pain, you can feel that pain. Well, some of you may be thinking, well, how do I transform that? I've been wanting to, but how do I transform it? Well, let me, let me tell you a little bit about me. Now, um, I kind of came into the world um, struggling <laughs> with these issues from the moment I was born. I mean, I just have always been a person who struggled. I remember talking to my mother about it, and she said, Oh my gosh, she said out of, and she told me later, not when I was a kid, she said when, when you were a little girl and a, even a baby, she said you were harder to raise than all four kids put together. And she said you were just constantly pushing the boundaries, constantly and saying why? I want to do that, that makes me happy, I want to do this. And just on and on, or I'd throw temper tantrums and just, uh, or be, you know, she just said constantly or I'd be crying about, I was just very emotional as a child. And things upset me easily. You can talk to my husband. You know, ask him about that, they do. I'm t I tend to be a glass half empty type person. I look at the negative, I'll focus. And my mom said she was always working with me. Let's talk about positive things, <laughs> you know. I'm easily frightened. I'm easily angered. Um, the winter here in Ohio just makes me sad and depressed. In fact, this morning when I looked out my window and I saw snow, I was just like, you got to be kidding. And then I just went, okay, no, no, let's think of something positive here about this, you know. And over the last two and a half, almost three, well, it'll be three years and next month, 
I have been dealing with major, major physical problems that can produce a lot, I mean a lot, of fear and anxiety. Most of you know, some of you don't, but I was in a really serious car accident about three years ago, and it was through that that they discovered that I have multiple myeloma. That's a very serious cancer of the, it, it's basically under the blood cancers. And um, it just, it's amazing what that can do to me, you know, when I start thinking about it and focusing on that. And some of you are thinking, why did they ask that woman to speak? <laughs> what in the world? Why did they ask her? She's a mess. Well, let me, let me tell you what. Through my life, because of how I'm wired, I finally accepted that I was wired that way. But because I always look at people that are just even, you know, have you ever met somebody and they never, nothing upsets them, nothing shakes them? I love people like that. And I always think how easy life is for those people, you know. But anyway, but over the last three years, I feel like, well, really, over the course of my adult life, I feel like I've learned some answers, some answers to these struggles that I struggle with. And I really believe they're things that are answers for you, too. And especially even over the last three years, I mean, I feel like God has taken me so much deeper in my walk with him. I mean, sometimes I even go, I'm not even the same person that I was before all this has happened. And let me tell you what, these are answers that work and that have brought a great measure of peace to my life. And the bottom line answer, here it is, the bottom line answer, the bottom line for all of this is to have a growing sense of intimacy. Remember Heather and Vicki talked about intimacy and dependency with God a growing sense of intimacy with God and greater dependency. Now, let me, let me give you a definition of intimacy because sometimes people have weird ideas about intimacy. What, what I'm talking about, here's a definition. It means familiarity, closeness, a warm friendship, a feeling of belonging together. And I found that if I nurture this intimate relationship, that familiarity, you know, just that closeness, that warm friendship, that feeling of belonging that you have, I grow in my relationship to him and I grow in my ability to see grace. I grow in my ability to feel his peace. In fact, I feel more peaceful now than I think I've ever, ever felt in my life. You know, um, St. Augustine, and I didn't put this on my outline, I just thought of it, but he has a great quote, and he said, I love this quote, St. Augustine, long time ago, but he said, our souls are restless until they find the rest in thee. And that's the truth. That is the truth. Our souls are just restless we have a part of us that's just restless all the time. And unless we are 
nurturing a relationship with Jesus, moving into that intimacy which, de- which basically produces dependency, we're going to be restless. We're going to be restless. You know, we live in such a consumeristic society. There, there are voices coming at me and coming at you on a regular basis, voices telling you what you should be, how you should be, what you need. You know, a lot of times I'm doing just fine and I open up a magazine and I see that ad and I think, I need that. Have you ever done that? And you thought, I never knew I needed that kind of face moisturizer, but I need that, you know. I mean, on and on we go, you know. But these voices are constantly coming at us, telling us, you're not happy. You you should have this. You should have that. And we listen to those voices. We listen to those voices. Now, let me tell you what. There is a living and breathing God that is so desirous to be the voice in your life, to speak to you and be way louder than all those other other voices. So let's, what we're going to do, we're going to look back at David again. I love this passage. I love the word of God. Get into the word of God, but let's pray. And let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel 27, and let's just invite the Lord to be here as we read the Word. So, Lord, we thank you for your presence that was here last night, that is already here, has been here this morning. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives, that you love us and that you work in our lives. Come, Holy Spirit. Just fill me with your spirit. Empower your word. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. Now, last night, I loved those teachings. I was sitting back in the sound booth. Amen. You know, and I wanted to clap when, when, when Vicki uh, read the part about David, you know, with Goliath and all of that. I wanted to stand up and yell, you know, but I, I held myself back, you know, <laughs> held myself back. But it's so, so exciting to see the role model of having just this great walk with God. David was amazing for an Old Testament character to have such intimacy with the Lord. It was amazing. Okay, now, we saw last night, remember Heather talked about how Samuel had come to David and how he, he saw in David, the, you know, David was the least, the runt of the litter, basically, and how Samuel saw in David the anointing of the Lord. And he anointed him and he told him, you're going to be king because God can see your heart. Remember that? And he was a man after God's own heart. And the favor of the Lord was on David. Okay, now, the thing that I'm going to talk about just a minute, Saul didn't know this. He wouldn't have been too happy about it because you know what? Saul, just being around David, Just hanging out with him, he could see it on David. He could see the favor of God in his life. He could see that. And he could see that the people, he had the favor of the people. They were all praising David more than him. He was the king. And so he began to be very jealous 
and really terrified of David, really terrified to the point, I mean, he just spiraled down, just spiraled down to the point that he tried to murder David. And so David begins this 13-year process of running. He's running in the desert, hiding from Saul. It went on for 13 years. You know, sometimes I'm frustrated if I have a bad day. I mean, for 13 years, he's running and hiding, and he's got two wives and children. And then all these men start defecting and leaving Israel and coming out and joining him out in the desert. They had no home. They're hiding in caves. And I saw those caves when I was in Israel. And so they're hiding in caves. And David is being miraculously protected over and over and over over again by God. You know, there's 600 men now with David, and they were all kind of misfits of society, and God protects the men that come out and hang out with David, and their wives and kids and livestock and all of that come out with David. I mean, it's getting bigger and bigger, and they're running and hiding. Now, David, it's amazing how miraculous God protected David. God's call was on David, and so God's protecting him in such a miraculous way. Well, what I want to do, well, let me just say one last thing. One of the main reasons God was protecting David is because, remember, if you, if you uh, studied the Bible, David was in the lineage for the Messiah that had been prophesied about. Jesus was coming down through David. And so God was going to, I mean, David was not in trouble. God was going to protect him. But sometimes we don't know that. You know, our vision is clouded. And so here, let's turn to, let's look at 1 Samuel 27. And we're going to look at a story where David's not so great. Where we see the humanness of David, that he's just like us, that he's just exactly like us, how he moves out of that place of intimacy and trust with the Lord. So look at verse 1, and we're just going to read the first four verses. Okay, so David, remember, he's being miraculously protected over and over again. And so in verse 1 it says, But David thought to himself... One of these days, I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hands. So David and his 600 men with him... um, left and went over to Achish. That's, that's over in Philistine country. Son of Maok, king of Gath. David and his men settled in Gath with Achish, a Philistine king. Each man had his family with him, and David had his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, the widow of Nabal. When Saul was told that David had fled to Gath, he no longer searched for him. Okay. (laughs) I love it again because you get to see who David gets fearful just like we do. He's full of anxiety and he starts thinking, you know, here, here, here David, 
who has this great walk with God, Heather, uh, you know, she, she gave some of the Psalms last night. He has this great walk, intimate walk with God, but all of a sudden he quits believing the Lord and he starts believing these lies that God is not going to protect him. God is not going to protect him. I remember a friend of mine, that, and I'll never forget this. She was discipling me when I was about 17 years old, and she told me, she said, Penny, I think you have a call on your life. I think God is going to use you. And she said, probably in the mission field or something, because women didn't get to be pastors in the denomination we were in. And she said, but here's the deal. You're going to go through some hard times. And she said, but never doubt in darkness, what God has shown you in light. Never doubt in darkness what God has shown you in light. And God had made it so clear, crystal clear to David that he was going to be protected from Saul and be the king. But David's doubting. He's doubting just like uh, we do, and he begins to give in to these thoughts and fear and anxiety and failure. But where does he go? He goes over to the land of the Philistines. I remember the first time I read that years and years ago, I just went, what? Didn't, didn't Vicky talk last night about how he defeated the Philistine giant? And then Israel, they, they all rose up and they had courage and they defeated, they defeated the Israelites. You know, and now he's going over to these guys. Remember how, how David called them the godless, uncircumcised or whatever guys, you know. I mean, these guys were bad news, bad, bad dudes. I mean, they offered their children to their gods. They were idol worshipers. They hated Israel. And you know what they wanted to do? They, the, the Philistines wanted to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. They wanted to get rid of it all, you know, just wipe. Them. They didn't like their God. They didn't like them. And they were after Israel to get rid of them. Okay, and so David goes over there to a place of refuge. What happened to God being his refuge? You know, you read the Psalms and God's my fortress. God's my refuge, you know. And I love it how he, he, he's just like us. He's just like us. Now, think about it for a moment. Where in the world do these thoughts come from with David? Thinking, Saul's going to get me one of these days. He's going to capture me and he's going to kill me. Where do these thoughts come from? Anybody want to take a guess? What? Right. They, you know, there's three things, basically, the Bible talks about that are after us to destroy us, basically. The world, you know, we talked about the voices in the world. The flesh, that part of us that leans away from God and towards evil. Have you ever noticed? There's a part of you like that. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. <laughs> I have it. I have it. And there's a part of us. But the third thing is the devil, is Satan. You know, he, he is after us. Listen to um, Ephesians 6, 12. I love it. A lot of times we think we're the only team on the field. And we're just not. 
There is some, another team trying to destroy us. And listen to Ephesians 6.12. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, David's enemy was never Saul. You see that? His enemy were those spiritual forces coming at him to knock him out. Now, Saul played right into their hands and was used by those forces, but his enemy was never Saul, never Saul. You know, it was, it was the world, the flesh, and the devil coming at him. And I really do. I think his mind was filled with lies. If you look down to verse 13 in Ephesians 6, 16, after that, it says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Think about it this way. There are these demonic forces coming at us, and they are hurling arrows at you on a regular basis. And you know what I think? I think that the enemy hurls them a lot of times at our mind with little lies. Little lies that, you know... Like Vicki said last night, the what-ifs of life. What if this happens? What if my spouse never changes? What if I never find a spouse? Or, or I would be happier if. I would be much happier if I had a different husband, if I had a husband, if I had, if I had a, you know, different children, <laughs> if I had... Um, you know, different home, if I had children. I mean, we all, there's all these things. I would be happier if I had these things. More money, more, more success, more... I mean, we can just go on and on with the things that, that we wish we had if we start listening to those lies that the enemy hurls at us, and it's really true, or that you're worthless, you're no good, God will never use you, or like last night when Vicki was talking about a place for you, you might be thinking, yeah, everybody else but me. That's a lie. you got to start realizing those things are lies. Lies. And so what happens when we start believing lies? Because let me tell you, you know, I'm getting old now, and I feel like I can say it like it is. <laughs> You know, you know how old people do. But let me tell you, <laughs> some of the old ladies are, <laughs> you know. But let me tell you what he does. And I, I'm, I'm teasing about saying you're old ladies. You're not. <laughs> but let me tell you what he can really come at us and cause us to withdraw from God and believe those lies and we go deeper and deeper and deeper into the devil's territory and we end up over in the land of the Philistines, just like David, seeking that, whatever that is, you fill in the blank, we all have them, but whatever it is, I mean, this is such a great, picture of spiritual warfare. I mean, it's such a great picture of spiritual warfare. You know, in my life, I mentioned I have a, a multiple myeloma cancer, and it's a very, if you read about it, it's a very serious cancer. 
And you know what? If I start giving in to the lies of the what-ifs, I even had that happen this week. I was up at uh, the James on Tuesday, and I saw several people with my disease that were really going downhill. I mean, really going downhill. And they were so sick, and I, it was just like, <laughs> I was just looking at them, and it was almost like the enemy just had it for me. You know, and I just was watching them go by, and I went, it was just like, that's going to be you. And I just got this terror that gripped me. And then all of a sudden, I went, wait a minute. God has given me incredible grace to go through what I've gone through over the last three years. I cannot tell you the grace. People that know me well just kind of go, it's amazing what God, what God has done in your life. I mean, it's amazing how God has over and over and over again met me in really hard spots and given me grace when I go to him instead of over into the land of the Philistines. When I go over there and start feeding those thoughts, let me tell you, I can spiral down real quick. But if I stay centered in the Lord, and I go back, I open the Word of God, and I start reading God's Word, the truth of God's Word, and I, you know, the Bible is the inspired, God-breathed Word, where God speaks to us, you know, and when God speaks to me out of His Word, I just kind of go, yeah, that's the truth, it's not, it's, I don't have to worry about tomorrow, He's given me grace today, you know, and stay in the day. Stay in the day. Daily coming to him and offering those fears to him, the anxiety, the anger, the resentment, whatever it is, offer it. That's the place where we can go and repent and make those exchanges with him. And God gives us his peace, his grace, his love, his insight. It's amazing what he does with us when we come to him. And we need to realize that it is vital, it's vital to develop that relationship with Jesus regularly. Don't let that slide. That's where those voices get us, those little lies, they get us. If we're not putting truth in our life and reading the word of God and spending time talking to him and allowing him to speak to us, we can spiral down really quick. But we need to build our relationship with him. You know, it's like any relationship. I mean, you know, it would be like a couple getting married and then they get in two separate cars and they go their own way and they never talk to each other again. I mean, that marriage would spiral out of control real quick, you know? But that's sometimes the way we treat God. We go spend time with him. Maybe we get up and say, I need to have my devotions. And we go read some scripture. And then we get up and say, see you later, Jesus. I'm going to go you know, live my life the way I want to. No, we take him with us everywhere we go. He's with us. You know, he lives within us. Give me the truth of what I just read to take it with me. Did you know that I even take him with me into the CAT scan machine? I had to take a CAT scan last week. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm in there worshiping Jesus. 
You know, and the Lord reminded me before I went in. He said, now, don't, don't leave me behind when you go in there because you can get anxiety when you're in there and all. And I'm just worshiping him while I'm in there. And I thought, you know what? The Lord wants us to take him everywhere you go. Whatever you walk through, take him with you and allow him. And I don't have to worry about my future. That's in God's, you know, that's, that's God's worry. <laughs> you know, and I just give it to him. I give it to him over and I just don't go there. I, I just say, don't go there. If I do, it's not a pretty picture. You'll see <laughs> if you ever see me like that. Okay, so David He's, he's feeding these lies. He goes over to the land of the Philistines. And you know what he wants to do? The enemy wants to blur our vision for God, our passion, our love, our emotions that we have for him, and keep us from obeying God. You know, with our actions, he wants to keep us from obeying him. All right, so things are going great for David. He's over hanging out with them for a year, about a year and a half. He's hanging out with the Philistines. The king likes him. He likes the king. The king even gives him his own city, the city of Ziklag. And he says, David, you've been so great. I'm giving you a city. And he gives him this city. And then he, his, all his 600 men and their families, they all go and live in Ziklag. And they're having a good old time for about 16 months. Now, commentaries do not know what to even do with this story. They, they all disagree on really what's happening. They can't believe David did this. Some of them say, well, surely he didn't really do that. You know, he's probably got a plan or, you know. And then some of them will say, nope. <laughs> you know, he, he really went over for refuge from the Philistines, you know. So pick which one you want to believe. I think... He's like us, and he blew it. <laughs> but I see God's grace so much in this story. It's a great picture of the enemy setting a trap for us. Now, if you flip over to chapter 29 in your Bibles, verse 1, skip over chapter 28. It goes back to Saul, and Saul is unraveling. But see, David doesn't know this. Saul is completely unraveling, and um, the Lord knows this. He's about to install David as king. It's been about 13 years now. He's been running and hiding. Okay, so, and, and he's still with the Philistines. And in chapter 29, let's see what time it is. Okay, verse 1. The Philistines gathered all their forces at Aphek, and Israel camped by the spring in Jezreel. As the Philistine rulers marched with their units of hundreds and thousands, David and his men were marching at the rear with Achish. The commanders of the Philistines asked, well, what about these Hebrews? That's, that's David, the Israelites. Achish replied, is this not David who was an officer of Saul, king of Israel? He has already been with me for over a year, and from the day he left Saul until now, I have found no fault in him at all. But the Philistine commanders were angry with Achish, and they said, send the man back that he may return to the place you assigned him. That's back in Ziklag. And he says, he must not go with us into battle, or he will turn against us during the fighting. How better could he regain his master's favor than by taking the heads of our own men? 
Isn't this the David they sang about and in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. So Achish called David and said to him, As surely as the Lord lives, you have been reliable and I would be pleased to have you serve with me in the army. From the day you came to me until today, I have found no fault in you. But the rulers don't approve of you. So basically what he does, he sends him back to Ziklag. He says, they won't fight with you, David. They think you're going to turn on us. You know? And so he sends him back to Ziklag. And it's a three-day trip back to, to um, Ziklag. And, and this is the first sign of life unraveling for David. We're going to see. See, the enemy loves to make us happy when we go into his territory for a while and make things pretty good. But then after a while, everything unravels. And in uh, chapter 30, verse 1, look what happens. 1 through 6. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and everything else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. Okay, you see things go from bad to worse in David's life. He's Ziklag is burned up. The city is completely destroyed. His wives, his children have been stolen by the Amalekites. The, uh, all, I mean, now the soldiers that were, you know, so King David, we love you, we're going to follow you have turned against him, and they're going to stone him. They're talking about stoning him, you know, putting him to death. And they're furious for what he's led them into, everything. Great picture of spiritual warfare, what the enemy wants to do. He wants to rob everything that is rightfully yours, that God has given you. He wants to rob it away. He wants to rob it away. Your calling, your trust in God, all of that. He wants to uh, totally rob it away from you. Okay, now this is exactly what happens. I've seen it. I've seen people's lives destroyed by not doing it God's way. We've all seen people like that. And they just get deeper and deeper in. Okay, now look at back at verse 6, and we're going to see what David does. This is when things turn around. Mm. In verse 6b, it says, But David 
found strength in the Lord his God. Okay? This is, this is really important. This is the first time we see David seeking the Lord for 16 months. At least 16 months. And so he's going directly back into the presence of God. This is very important. Very important. And it's important why David went back. Here's why he went back. And hear this. He didn't have any place else to go. I mean, everything was gone. You saw, you saw last night in their teachings how even his brothers didn't like him. His own father overlooked him. I mean, he had no place to go. And he can't, the Philistines don't want him. Everything is just destroyed in Ziklag. And now his own men are about ready to murder him. <laughs> you know, they're about ready to kill him. And so he, what does he do? I love it. I love David. This is why we love him so much. Because he goes back to that place that is really important that he knows he can find help. That is so true. You know what? The enemy wants to keep us away from the Lord when we've blown it and we'll feel like I've let God down. I see this all the time. I've done that. We, we, we don't let God down. I mean, God, that, that's not the way it works. God has favor and grace, and he's yearning for you to come back to him and stay in his presence. You see, David was so weak and so needy. He had no place else to go and he thinks I know I've had comfort from God before and he goes back to God God loves weak and needy people did you know that see a lot of times we feel like I better clean myself up before I go in that's not the way it works no we go to him in our brokenness you know I don't go I, I spend time with God a lot of time with God now that I'm retired and I go into his presence broken and needy. I wake up every day and those voices start hitting me. And I go in, I get my cup of coffee and I open the word of God and I sit down and I start believing truth again. See, that's when God can open our eyes and speak to us. And I stop when I see truth and I pray a little bit as I talk to him. And he, he speaks truth to us. He ministers to our spirit in that place. That's where that grace comes to transform us. That's where inner healing, we always talk about, I want to have my emotions healed. That's where it comes from. Going into the presence of God. And letting him touch you, exchanging, saying, God, I've blown it lately. I haven't been focused on you, and I've been doing this and that. I give it to you. We repent in his presence. And then he washes us and gives us his forgiveness and his love and mercy and his peace. And he changes us. He changes our minds, the way we think. God's favor and grace was on David. You know, I used to think that I had to crawl back to God when I blew it. Just crawl back and beg him to take me in. That's not the way it works. We, we go back to God 
and he puts us back. It's like Humpty Dumpty, you know? <laughs> he puts us back together again. He really does. And that's where, it's not in all these external things that we think, if I just had this, if I just had that, you know, if I had a better marriage, all the things that we've been talking about, it's going to God and in, you know, there's a great verse. I love this verse. I don't know if you have that up yet, Patty. It's, it's uh, Psalm 36, 9. And it's somewhere on the PowerPoint. If you don't have it, that's okay. But it's, oh, it's up. Look at this. I love this verse. For with you is the fountain of life. And in your light, we see light. See, as we go into his presence, he's the fountain of life. He's the one that gives us life. But also in his light... That darkness just runs away. All the demonic forces that come against us run away. And we see things from God's perspective. Does that make sense to you? You, get, you, you understand that? We start seeing things from God's perspective in his light. And we start learning about God and who he is and what he does. Let me, let me, let me run through this last part. Um, as he transforms us, David had three things that were transformed in his life. Number one, his vision. His vision was, was transformed. His ability to see things from God's perspective was transformed. You know, it says David was strengthened, strengthened by the Lord. That word strengthened, I love it. In the Hebrew if you have that, I know I kind of got off. Uh, there it is. Uh, look at what it says. What, what happened to, This is what happened to David when he went back to God to be strengthened. He was encouraged. This is the Hebrew. He was encouraged. He was renewed. He was gripped. He was recovered. I love this one. Tie securely to take new courage. All of that was happening in David's heart and in his soul as he's spending time back with the Lord. His vision was renewed and he's seeing things again from God's perspective. You know, let me just tell you, there's a great quote by Oswald Chambers. Let me read it to you. He said, Oswald Chambers is, was a great man of God, but he said, prayer changes me and I change things. That's the way prayer works. Prayer works. We go into his presence. We, we open up our Bibles to see truth. And we say, God, breathe upon this truth. Speak to me. And as we spend time in his presence, he changes us. You ever, ever experienced that? If you haven't, start going for it and asking God for that. Asking him to change your vision. You know, there's an there's a interesting phenomenon about God. Did you know that it takes God to love God? Did you know that? See, if we're not nurturing our relationship with him, we just grow cold. And we quit loving him. We quit wanting to obey him. 
We don't want to follow him. Our intimacy is gone. Our dependence is gone. But it takes God to love God. Make sure you're having time every day to let him transform your vision. And the other thing that was transformed in David was his passion. That his emotions were changed. They were transformed to God and the things of God, loving the things of God as he spent time with God. You know, in some I have women, I did I led women's ministry for years down at Vineyard Columbus. So I've talked to a lot of women in my lifetime. And I hear a lot of women that are very, very busy, and they'll say, I just don't have time. I don't have time. And my answer is always, yes, you do. (laughs) Yes, you do. You don't have time not to spend time with God. You know what? And let me, let me just say, I understand. I've had three kids. I understand busy life. I've worked. I understand that, but there is a way. You find a way to eat. You find a way to take showers, you know, and, and there's, it's what's important to you. You know, this is vital that we stay in the game that we nurture our walk with him. And we've got to find that time. We've got to find that time. I love the story of Ruth Graham. You know, you all know Billy Graham. He died recently and such a great man of God and amazing man. But you know who I always think is way, well, it just is amazing. I was going to say more amazing, but I do find her pretty amazing. His Ruth, his wife, she stayed behind while he's out traveling in the limelight and doing all these things. And she's raising five kids by herself, pretty much by herself. Her kids honor her. I mean, they, they have risen up and they honor their mother. But she would, what she would do, she said it was really hard to have an uninterrupted time with five kids. And so she would go and set her Bible up on a stand like this that the kids couldn't reach. And so she would take care of the kids, get them settled with something. And then she'd go in and quickly just leave it open. She'd leave it open and read things. And it might be two verses before they'd start fighting or crying or whatever kids do, you know. And she'd have to go deal with something. And she said she did that all day long and just said, God, come on. We've got to go deal with the kids. And she'd take him with her to help her. That's why she, she had wisdom from God all through what she was doing. What she was doing. She had wisdom from God because she didn't leave him behind and leave him there. She kept taking him. And it's not enough just to go to church. Church is good. That encourages our faith. But we need our private times where we're nurturing Monday through Saturday. We're, we're, you know, and not, it's not enough to be involved in the church. We say, well, I serve at the food pantry and I da-da-da. Well, those are all good things. Those are all good things. But nurturing your private secret life with God is vital vital to hanging in there and not going over to the land of the Philistines. Okay. All right. Now let's, the last point is that God renews our action or our willingness to obey him so that we can get in the action. We don't just sit around singing hymns all the time. We do things. God calls us to do things. You see, look at verse uh, 7 there in chapter 30. 
It says, then David said, you know, after he's being strengthened and his vision is renewed and he's looking to God again, it says, then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him and David inquired of the Lord. The ephod is what they would wear when they would seek the Lord. And David inquired of the Lord. Look at what he says. Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? See, he's not going to do anything now without getting the Lord's permission. He's seeking the Lord. Should I go here? You know, I've done it my way. I want to do it your way, Lord. This is a valuable lesson. Valuable lesson. We need to seek God on a regular basis about just our lives, what we do. Ask him to help you with your job. Ask him to help you raising that baby that just won't sleep, you know. Ask him to help you. All the things that we, we have as women. Ask him. Start praying and fasting for your marriage. Start, you know, all the things that we deal with in life. Pray for those things. Okay, so he seeks the Lord. The Lord said, yes, go after him. You know, you're going to surely overtake them. Okay, and they go. They win the battle. The Amalekites are destroyed. Everything is recovered. Look at 1 Samuel 30, verse 18. It says, this is just the last part. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and the herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, this is David's plunder, which I love because just a few minutes earlier, they were going to stone him. And now they're saying, he's the boss, he's the man, you know, and they just think he's so great, you know. But David recovered all that the Lord had given him. He recovered all of it. God was preserving. He had given him that word years earlier. You're going to be king. And did you know that in that battle with the Philistines that Saul was taken out? That's when Saul died in that battle. David had no idea. David had no idea. Everything was about to be turned around. And David was going back to Israel and going to be king. Now, this is a beautiful picture of God's grace, the way he works with us. We're all broken. We're all broken. The Bible says we are. That's how I know it. We're all broken, and we're in need of a Savior. See, they, David and those guys, they looked forward to Jesus, to the cross. They had the sacrificial system, which all was very symbolic of Jesus and his death and his forgiveness. Now, we just look back and we have a lot more understanding. We have a lot more help. But God tells us to come, come into his presence. That's the place where we find grace in our time of need. That is the place. And God doesn't make you crawl back. He says, come on in. Did you know you can step right back into God's will right this minute? Any minute you can step right. See, I spend time with him because that's where I'm, his favor and grace 
It's not to get that. I don't go and spend time with him so that he'll love me more. No, he loves me. He loves you. I mean, why? I don't know <laughs> why he loves me, why he loves you. I always kind of scratch my head and go, God, I don't get it. You know, but he does to the point that he gave his very life for every one of us. He wants you that badly to come back into his presence. All right. Now, the Lord's going to do some ministry here. Um, why don't you all stand up and... Um, Heather and Vicki, if you want to come up here, uh, if you feel led to come on up here, just come on up.